Good morning, everyone. Um, um, what I'll, I'll share today is some ideas for community empowerment. And I thought at first I would start by saying that ideas are cheap. That's why I can share freely with all of you. But then I realized that actually the ideas that I'm going to share feels to me pretty strong. They're not cheaper ideas. They're stuff that people have been trying. And so I actually do take them quite seriously as well. Um, so if you can have the slides, please. Um, this, um, just like a preview of what uh, other participants will share later, these are Scottish community centres. And if you look at them, some of them look <clears throat> pretty drab. You know, there's really old buildings and uh, tiles not looking very well. Some are quite nice. So the lower bottom right, that's a disused church that was bought over by the community. And, you know, it's pretty nice that you can host weddings and funerals at, uh, at a church. Some are greener, some not so green. And I, I guess if you look at some of the hubs that we have nowadays, these are nothing fantastic, you know, nothing great, nothing out of, uh, uh, in terms of infrastructure, we have better, right? But then we saw children celebrating their birthdays, just running around, uh, being noisy, balloons. And this question occurred in my mind, which is, how come we don't think of celebrating our children's birthdays at our local CCs? Because it was the most natural thing for them to do right here. And then your neighbors would come and people would come and it's all there. And then so it occurred to me that also, um, as I was looking at uh, visiting some community garden at the CC and the Ukrainian refugee was just kind of doing some gardening and then if he required some financial or employment support, oh, there's a guy at the other end that can help you out with. So those were the stories we heard. And what I realized was this then, that our community centers and our social services are separate spaces. Right, we have functionally segregated our spaces. So all the fun stuff is in the CC, right? You do your yoga, you do your meditation, you do your bingo, line dancing, etc. And then all the sad stuff is done in the social service agencies or the FSCs. And the unintended consequence of this is that, of course, the FSC is a stigmatized place. You don't want to go there unless you have a problem, right? And the community is also not in that space. You're only invited in as a volunteer to do very specific volunteering uh, objectives. Maybe you need to give tuition to the kids, or maybe you need to read to the kids. And then on the other hand, I realized, for myself at least, I don't really go to the CC either, because I find my recreation elsewhere, right? And the recreation that happens in the CC to me almost feels um, like inconsequential recreation, right? Stuff that, it's not inconsequential, I'm being trite a little bit here, or being a bit frivolous, but it was never uh, activities that I found particularly purposeful or meaningful. It is, uh, it is recreation, it is fitness, it is exercise, and all that's good for uh, their purposes. But it seems that we are missing something out. So what is it that we miss out? This is what I saw there. Um, this is in one of the community centers on the top level, and we kind of just waltzed in and say, oh, what's all this? Quite interesting. People were collecting used fishing nets and they were cutting up old clothing, dyeing them in green and then tying it up to the fishing nets to literally make, uh, to make camouflage nets that will be sent back to Ukraine to literally save lives. So you can see the Ukrainian flag there. And it occurred to me, well, I will never go and help 
some seniors, I'm, I'm very terrible and I would never do arts and crafts for seniors because that's just not me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't enjoy doing it. But I would actually do this. I wouldn't mind spending some time doing some manual tasks, tying this up, doing this because it seems purposeful to me. And so then it sounds like um, maybe we could harness hobbies, energies purposefully to meet community needs, right? There are all these interesting things you can do. There are all these remakeries now. It's a new term I've never heard about before. You know, you can have repair. We have repair kopitiam in Singapore, but there are textiles refashion. You can have energy-saving workshops. You can also have um, uh, in, in common unity in New Zealand, uh, there's a knitting club that makes blankets for the lo local hospital. There's a sewing club making tooth toothbrush holders out of old advertising banners for school children as requested by a community nurse that wanted to go to a local school to teach the kids how to brush their teeth. And so it, was, it seemed nice. And you know, there, there are lots of possibilities. And my own idea is you see all this muscle man going to the gyms and lifting weights. And it always occurred to me, what a waste of your muscles. Why, if not, why not go help? <laughs> Some poor people move house or something, right? Go form, instead of join a gym, which is expensive, free training for you. Just go move house for people. Uh, I, I myself, we use uh, a cleaning, um, a moving company that is uh, led by uh, ex-offenders. And these are huge guys, tattoo huge guys. And I struggle to move like a, like a, um, our mattress. I had to pull and struggle to, to drag it an inch. He would come in and roll it all up and carry it. And I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> this guy clearly never goes to the gym. He has no time for it. He has no luxury to go to the gym. He, that's his work. Um, and so I was thinking, community centers 2.0. What if there was an integrated space that acts as a receptacle for all of life's joys and sorrows? Our CCs are spaces for fun, right, for recreation. But community life is full of life's joys and sorrows, right? You can have birthdays, weddings, funerals. You can have recreation, sure, but you should have social services. You can have community-led businesses, ground-up initiatives. And of course, provide social uh, professional services. But it occurred to me also that the poor social workers, and I'm friends with many of them, that they get trampled all over, right? They get a lot of pushback, they do this, they help poor people, and then everyone's angry with them for, uh, for all sorts of reasons. So why not throw lawyers and doctors into the mix? Uh, Dr. Wonswick Fan is here today. She does a lot of community, community health, right? And no one messes with the doctors because they know their stuff. And we visited Pro Bono SG uh, this year as well, learning, um, a learning journey to their site in Aokang. And they know their stuff. They know how to navigate. And you know, if we pair the doctors and the lawyers together with the social workers, the poor social workers, and the people doing community work, Maybe that would be a powerful model. It occurs to me, I don't know, I'm not sure. It's a tentative thought. And also, maybe the businesses at the community centers, we can prioritize community-led enterprises. There were lots of community-led enterprises in, in Scotland. These were, um, these were co-owned um, enterprises serving local needs. This was not your tuition center or it's not McDonald's, right? This was something that the community themselves either hire their own, just are neighbors or residents uh, in service of their own. And uh, interesting enough, there is a Community Empowerment Act that the Scottish Parliament passed. 
and there's a clause inside that allows for community asset transfers. And this is where if you have a derelict building or land or an asset that is publicly owned, a community group has the option of applying and owning that piece of land or building. Uh, it's not just in you know, rural areas, they've started in urban areas as well. So a lot of these derelict buildings have now become under community ownership. Um, and maybe we can find some middle ground here, you know. Uh, land is scarce and land is expensive. We are unlikely to ever uh, uh, let communities own them comfortably, maybe. But maybe some middle ground. Um, the other thing we found was that a lot of these community centres were actually owned by community development trusts. And that's kind of a new term uh, for many of us. In Singapore, we understand social enterprises very well. We've never really heard of community development trusts. And so a social enterprise is kind of like a, it's a business with a double bottom line. You've got to sustain yourself, but you also have to do social good. And you typically have a product or a service that you try to scale or grow. And it's something that you will grow and you will try to move operations to where it's economic opportunity. Let's say you hire people with disabilities to make handbags or you train women to become baristas. And the, the community development trust is different in that sense. It is kind of like a place-based social enterprise. If you were making handbags for sale, you would try to sell as many handbags as possible. And if nobody wanted to buy your handbags anymore, maybe you innovate in your product, or maybe you will go to a different market, maybe go to Malaysia and sell the handbags. If, whether handbags are useful for people or not, and if you were training people to become baristas, you would have a vested interest that the coffee industry is growing and thriving, whether drinking coffee is good for you or not. I don't know. I drink a lot of coffee, so I have nothing against this. But that's the model, right? You have to go, you have to grow. The Community Development Trust is like a place-based social enterprise run by the local community, and, and they respond to local needs. So, for example, uh, they might run a small business. It might be a professional. It might be a social service. It might be a pub. It might be a library. Or it can be quite serious. It can be a wind farm. So an energy company will come and set up. It's too expensive for the community to own the whole wind farm, but it will own one wind vane. And the... Whatever energy that's generated and the, the revenue that comes from that wind vane goes back to the local community. So it's serious economic activity. Now, after that, what happens? They don't go around the country scaling up wind farms, setting up wind farms everywhere, because that's not their business. Their business is my local community. Let's go and do something else now. Let's go and see what else we need. And so what's interesting is if you are rooted to a locality and your economic activity is subsidiary to community needs, your economic activity only ever grows to an appropriate size, never bigger than what you need, which is interesting to me. Um, and so, in Singapore then, of course, nice concept, lah, then how to do in Singapore, right? It's so different, no land, no space, no, no place-based, no placeness, no, no com in the same sense that it could work here. But what if we formed micro-level community development trusts that are owned and led by residents of a neighbourhood but supported by our CDCs. The CDCs already have this as their mandate to connect and build capacity of communities across five districts. Uh, but sometimes the CDCs, you know, they do nationwide um, uh, programs like financial literacy and all that. And you, you look at that and you, they probably worry a lot about whatever they're doing compared to MSF, are they doing, is, is it duplication? But actually, 
if they did this, it might solve their problem, right? What if the CDC supported local community development trusts to invest in programs or businesses that meet micro-level needs? And so we soft-floated this to them and say, yeah, kind of interesting, so maybe, you know. Um, and you would define a neighborhood uh, in terms of not a service boundary or FSC or et cetera. You would define it in terms of its walkability, it seems. Uh, Beeling's in the house from Amuku FSC, and she did an interesting community asset mapping exercise. And it's, it, what stuck to me is that what defines a neighborhood is its walkability, right? And maybe within a neighborhood, that, that should be the, the right size for a local community development trust that is supported by CDC. Why not? Ideas are free, yeah? <laughs> Implementation hard. Or whether, whether it gets even any interest of support. The local CDC, uh, CDTs can even pool resources by raising funds through something called community shares. So community shares is something whereby if you wanted to set up a local enterprise, uh, you go to maybe the Commonwealth neighborhood and you say, we want to set up a childcare center that is led by parents, and this costs us uh, $100,000. And instead of finding an investor, the local residents who would want to use the service would invest $100, $200 each in your, in your business. And the thing about, it's not just pooling, it's not just simple crowdfunding. It's crowdfunding from a locality, but it's also you've created a whole group of people who are vested in and will volunteer and will be uh, rooting for the success of your business. So that's quite cool. Um, we also found out things like community planning partnerships and participation requests. Uh, these are public bodies who will work together with local communities to design and deliver better services. And participation requests, specifically, we talked to the people who did them. It's quite interesting. I won't go too much detail in them. It's a way for people to have a say about the kind of improvements they would, they would like to see made to public services. And then you can submit a request and then their relevant government agency will say whether it qualifies, and then they will come and work together with you on this. Um, and so then to the next idea, it's uh, a social stock exchange, or like I mentioned already, a community share. This is a platform that lists, um, basically it's an exchange, right? So if you have programs, you have solutions, you have pilots or ideas, you're building a pathway to money. Uh, but what's interesting is these things exist, right? Um, the features of such a platform that would be useful, I feel, is that it changes the relationship between currently a social service agency or nonprofit and their funder. Most nonprofits have close relationships to a few funders, so they will cultivate that relationship, right? And they will align, they try to align their, their, their solutions to the interests of the funder, nothing wrong with that. But when you have few funders and their interests are as such, you tend to bend over backwards. And so the negative effect of that is that it doesn't allow your solution, it doesn't allow us to all focus on building the strength of that solution. Imagine if you have many funders, if you landed at a strong solution, I bet because Singapore, money is floating around here, we are very different from Scotland and everywhere else, that if you have a strong solution, the people with the money will be vying to support your strong solution. Because it's also very difficult to give away money. You want to give away money, you want governance and accountability and all that, but you also want to be excited by the idea. And it's very hard 
to be excited by ideas. It's not so easy to arrive at a strong idea. And so if there's a platform like that, you can build multiple pathways to different types of funders, and different types of funders can invest in a portfolio that suits their, you know, their ESG needs or whatever and churns out the report. But what's interesting to me is not just the exchange platform, but the brokerage system that supports all such exchanges. Right? You need to have a, um, what counts as a good solution, what gets listed on the platform. There's a lot of work that goes into working and creating something that gets people interested in in the first place. Um, and it can be structured in terms of loans, grants, or shares. It doesn't have to be one uh, means. And so I particularly like uh, community shares because, as I mentioned, it allows everybody to just own a small stake in a small local enterprise that serves their local neighborhood needs. Um, the other thing we learned was, and this was a woman who sat in, uh, uh, sat in the same car with us, and it wasn't even part of the agenda. We kind of learned what she was doing, and she was running a community learning exchange um, and this was small pockets of accessible funding. Amongst nonprofits or social service agencies, maybe I want to run a youth drop-in centre and Singapore Children's Society runs a really wonderful one. I want Singapore Children's Society to be able to teach me what they do. But they're not going to naturally do that unless we're really close friends, right? So maybe we'll have a simple honorarium, right? We'll do like a learning journey, we'll do a visit, and we can pay an honorarium, then that happens. Or you can, you can even pay the honorarium on an overseas expert, a new solution. And because of COVID nowadays, for small sums of money, very high prestige speakers are willing to show up for an hour just to chat with you. Right? You give them an honorarium of $1,000, they'll show up for an hour. They'll be happy to, in fact. And so you can pay for hosting, can pay for venue or refreshments. And actually, um, Pastor Andrew is here. I, I went to his Kampong Siglap, which was a wonderful place. And people were just visiting the space just to find out if they can use the space for a retreat. But people lingered on because there's such a thirst for connecting with one another. What are you doing? Oh, that's interesting. And they stayed on long after that session was over just to connect with one another. Um, and so the administrator of the Scottish Community Learning Exchange told us, impressed upon us the great value of doing something like this. Small sums of money but it got nonprofits and SSAs to share with one another. Um, and kind of as uh, possibly as an outcome of this, so Kampong Siglap is there, you know, we can do it at the Expo or we can do it at Kampong Siglap. <laughs> this could be a large scale, maybe a biannual nonprofit or community or voluntary sector Expo. There is no uh, nonprofit conference per se, right, that, that, uh, for the whole sector. And it could be like a trade expo, right? You can just go to the Singapore Expo. It doesn't cost that much money. Care Corner, La Tai Hua Kwan, everyone can set up a booth. And the exhibitors can also include social enterprises, ground-ups. And you can have not just speakers, you can, have, you can sell your stuff, right? Sell your merchandise. You can have people perform. It's kind of, uh, in terms of, I'm thinking compared to a conference like this where there's programming, the programming there would be light. Most of all, you just show up with your booth, right? And you just share with people who come and talk to you. And the purpose of the community expo could be, you know, the students are here, right? We have Swiss Cottage and Dunban in the room, and I'm really glad they're here because the future is them, right? Not oldies like us. And they <laughs> happen to be interested enough to show up. But they do a lot of VIA, a lot of service learning opportunities. 
the students can go there. Instead of all the IHLs doing their own community engagement events and soliciting for their own um, volunteer opportunities, just show up at this uh, expo, find out what's out there, who's interesting. Uh, the nonprofits can also do fundraising and development, donor recruitment, interest potential investors. It can also be like a career fair, right? What's it like to work in this organization or that? What are the career opportunities? And talk to the social workers there. And the MPOs themselves can do networking amongst themselves. Discover what's interesting. Um, and the last part is uh, participation budgeting, which is more like a, what we're going to do next year. We have somebody in the house who we really hope will do this and we're getting somewhere along. It's really challenging to have local residents come up with ideas. It's to switch right now. We basically, if I have an issue, I go and complain to my MP at Meet the People session, right? It's like the godfather model. You're not happy with something, you go there, but then you owe, you owe them, right? You got to pay back, pay back when voting comes. It's like that relationship. And sometimes the, the sharing... So what, what I realized uh, was this, that actually maybe the, the inhibition to sharing power feels like you're losing power as you're sharing power. But this is what we discovered. Sharing power is not a zero-sum game. If I share power, actually participation generates power. When I cede control to my community to come and decide things, I now suddenly have a group of people who trust one another and trust me and can do things. So the next time I go to my community and say, let's do this, they are ready to act. And so that's kind of why we were interested in doing participatory um, budgeting. Uh, this last thing is, uh, I think Tomasek Oscar Fund is in the house. I took money from them, I, I didn't deliver yet. And this is a uh, need to extend, right? Uh, the idea was if you wanted to encourage ground-ups, you don't want the people like them already in the room interested and will come to the events and they'll be the next generation of social entrepreneurs. We want the people, the regular people in the heartlands, the, the youths and the seniors who will never come out, who will never think of themselves as an entrepreneur or run a ground-up, you know, what are those terms? It's strange to them. And so then the goal of this roving lab is to go to where they are. We will have a pop-up exhibition and we will share some of the ideas that we've already been doing, like giving circles, maybe learning circles. And if people read the pop-up exhibition and banner and they say, oh, it'd be kind of cool if I can join a learning circle and form a study group with my peers. Then they sign up and then at the end of the week, somebody shows up and gives them a guidebook and they run this on their own. And then maybe we'll have a simple ideation and collect ideas from that local community and the good ideas survive, right? So we collect more and more ideas and we go to more and more neighborhoods to share more and more ideas to other communities. Um, uh, and that, that's why Rove to the heartlands to spark uh, innovation rather than have a central hub. That was the, the basis of this concept. And that's it. So that's the, a summary of various ideas that's kind of interesting to think about. Uh, and if any of you have an interest to support or think more together and along with us, please approach any of us. Um, but the general insight I had from all this is this, right? The third sector is almost considered to be the cost center, right? The private sector makes the money and then donations flow to the third sector and we use it all up. Right, we are a cost center, but actually, community can be the site of serious economic activity. There's no reason why the community cannot run 
If the Scottish people can run a wind vane, that's serious, no, that's no joke. But if economic activity is subsidiary to community needs, it only always just grows to an appropriate size. And this is critically important now because we are in a climate emergency. And maybe economic activity, if it is subservient to community needs, will not exploit people or the planet as much as it does if it's for profit. Um, thank you very much. I hope you enjoy the rest of the day.